Hey, this is Aaron. And this is Micah, and you are listening to the WP Square One podcast. With us today is Adam Clark, the founder of Podcast Royale. If you've ever heard of Battle Royale, this is not that. And uh, <laughs> Man, that's not good. <laughs> he helps take businesses to the next level with their podcasts and uh, offers a done-for-you solution. Before we get started, though, Adam, I would love if we could kind of back up and talk about your first day with WordPress. What did that look like? Yeah, well, first of all, I had a lot of trouble getting handles, social media stuff because of Battle Royale. So uh, it's surprising <laughs> uh, they took all the Royale. I was going for a Pulp Fiction reference, which some people get, some people don't. But uh, still, yeah, that game. The burger? Yeah. The burger thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so Get a Big Mac or whatever. So yeah. Yeah, well, and my initial copywriting for the landing page was all, you know, filled with Pulp Fiction references and stuff. And I don't know if I'll end up using that or not, but anyway, it, it was difficult to get the domains and social handles and, and whatnot. But anyway, man, first day with WordPress. Back in the day, I was an Expression Engine guy, um, probably around 2008 time frame. And I bought in like all into the Expression Engine community. And it was a much bigger, well, I don't know what it is now. It seems like it isn't much anymore, but I haven't been involved in it in so long. So it, it could be, but at the time it was, there was definitely WordPress. This was before 3.0. This was before custom post types and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, Expression Engine gave you the ability to do some of those things. And I also felt like it's so funny because in 2008, I was thinking, okay, it's too late to get started in WordPress. You know, it's like uh, there are too many themes. There's too many, you know, anything I do is just not going to be noticed. There's going to be no way to cut through all the noise in the WordPress community if only I had known. But and I felt like Expression Engine was more, you know, it was a smaller pond and I could be a bigger fish in that smaller pond. And so that's what I was doing. And then Man, I don't know exactly when, probably 2010, 11, somewhere in there, I just, I gave up and, and accepted that WordPress was, was the best thing out there. And uh, so, and then I just kind of went all in on WordPress and that's been my career for uh, up until, you know, the last couple of years. So my first day in WordPress though, I, I don't really remember that, but I, I think, you know, what eventually won me over was the custom post types and, and the ability to, to do some of that kind of stuff uh, more easily than you could before. And the fact that it was just everywhere, you know, it was just clearly, you know, the market winner. And so that's what I went with. Cool. Yeah. I remember uh, the first time I was using WordPress, I had been doing PHP a little bit and uh, opened up WordPress and looked at it and was like, eh, I don't know, why would I use this when I could write my own thing? So I put it down and didn't come back to it for a little while. But yeah, it's always interesting to hear by story. So I, what was it, 08, I guess, I was playing around with all of the different CMSs and actually didn't land on, on WordPress um, as the one I wanted to use. It's the one kind of like I uh, caved a little bit once my business partner kind of convinced me that that's a good path to take. But I was also dealing with, I wasn't dealing with Expression Engine, but it was, uh, what was the underlying system that they switched to? Oh, I think that was... Code, code yeah, Igniter. I like the MVC concept and I wound up building my personal site on 
code igniter and it ran for a couple of years and I converted it to WordPress, um, just like lots of people have. But I mean, it was a good platform back then. I have no idea where they are now. Yeah, I loved CMSs and I loved building that kind of stuff. And and I realized later on in my career that that's because I'm more interested in systems and processes than the actual thing I'm making. Uh, I'm more interested in making things that help people make things rather than actually make something <laughs> that makes any sense. And early on, like I, I created an, a whole custom WordPress admin theme, which was a lot harder to do, you know, eight years ago than it is now, you know, because I wanted it to all be custom for my company and everything. It was a huge pain and it didn't even work half the time. But you know you're a developer when you'll spend two hours writing a script to automate something that would take five minutes to do if you actually just did it. And so <laughs> that's that's how I that's how I spent most of my time. Nice. So once you uh, got into WordPress, you said, you know, you've made a career out of it. So what does that career path look like? Obviously you've ended up creating a company. Tell us kind of how you went from here to there. Yeah. So I've been self-employed doing some sort of, you know, entrepreneurial type stuff since about that time. I'd been doing stuff before then, but I didn't really think that being self-employed was a realistic option until around that point. But I'd been messing around with the web since, you know, the mid nineties. And when we got our first internet connection, at home and and with my dad's computers when I was a kid in the 80s and stuff like that. But I was, I went to school for journalism. I was doing that. And I realized that, you know, once their second daughter was born, this was never going to cut it financially and it was time to change things up. So I thought about doing web design and development. I knew that that could lead to self-employment. So I got a job at a, an agency in Atlanta, spent a year there as a designer. And that's when I kind of realized that uh, I was definitely more of a front-end developer. And so, yeah, I went out on my own. And the first couple years was, it was a pretty twisty journey. At first, I thought I needed to present this big company, this face of this big company. And, you know, I was using the, the royal we everywhere and, you know, kind of obfuscating the fact that it was just me. You know, I tried to make it feel like this big agency and then tried to actually hire people and go down that road. and realized I did not want to do that. I just liked doing things myself. And so then I kind of found my rhythm in freelancing. And I did that all the way up until probably summer of 2015, along with other things. I was always doing other things, launching this thing or that thing, a WordPress theme or whatever. But uh, what paid the bills was always front-end development and WordPress focus front end development. I, I got into podcasting and all kinds of other stuff. And, and that, that brought me up to a couple of years ago, back in 2015, I got an offer from Apple and shut everything down and took that. And, uh, and yeah, that's kind of my, uh, well, I'm not doing that anymore. I, I, I quit that a couple of years ago and, and now I've focused almost entirely on my new podcast production company, but uh, I'm still doing WordPress stuff. I still do it just to mess around with it because I enjoy it, but I'm not right now taking on, you know, development projects except for just things that I want to do for friends or, or stuff like that. Like it's not what's paying the bills anymore, I should say. Like a true entrepreneur, you never do just one thing. You always do <laughs> many things. <laughs> yeah. Or you think about a lot of things and not do any of them if you're me. So... <laughs> 
Yeah, that too. It just depends on uh, what mode you're in at the time, right? <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit more about the uh, Podcast Royale. So tell us more about who you help and what all you can help with. Yeah, so fell in love with podcasting. And I remember wanting to start a podcast back in 2005 when I was working at a newspaper in LA. And, and you know, podcasting was super new at that point and never really did it. I didn't know anything, you know, I, I didn't really know how to put a website together or, or any of the, the technologies or anything at that point. But probably it was 2012 when I was thinking, you know, I should start my own podcast. And and as soon as I did at the beginning of 2013, like I really fell in love with it. I think it was kind of the it, it scratched a little bit, a little bit of that journalism itch, which I, I missed doing that ever since I quit. The only reason I quit was just because small town newspapers were never going to cut it, you know, money wise. And so podcasting, you know, it, it kind of tapped into that a little bit. There's also a sort of techie, nerdy side to it with all the gear and and audio production and everything, which which I enjoyed. So, yeah, so I started podcasting and honestly, the Gently Mad's probably one of the biggest or maybe most well-known things that I've ever done. And that went great. And eventually launched a podcast network with a couple friends. And probably toward the end of 2000, so in 2014, I decided, okay, I'm going to stop doing web work, all that. I'm going to live full-time off of the Gently Mad. I was going to relaunch the show, just start over, give it a kind of a reboot and create my podcasting course, which was an, was an online course. It's still out there. But at that time, too, everybody was launching info products, and I felt like something I needed to do, and I wanted to do. So January 1, 2015, that was all I was doing was the show and uh, the course. And that went well. I mean, it, it, I, it worked. I was able to make a full-time income from the show and, and everything. But... I was doing three episodes a week and these are multi-hour episodes and uh, I just burned out really hard about uh, four or five, six months later. And so that's when the offer from Apple came and it was just one of those, my wife was seven months pregnant and all these things, uh, you know, and I was so burned out and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. So I quit all that to, to my shame. I, you know, I spent years feeling super guilty about quitting, but I quit it all, moved to California, took the job with Apple. Huge mistake. <laughs> um, actually, wasn't a mistake. I, I don't know that I didn't do it, but it was, you know, I have self-employment kind of in, in my blood and uh, I, I kind of took it thinking, let's see if, if employment is as bad as I remember it being. And it was. <laughs> so I only lasted there about two years and I I quit. That seems to be a theme here. I'm quitting a lot of things. And so I quit Apple and and then it was like, what's next? What am I going to do? You know, I don't want to, I'm almost 40. I don't want to just go back to freelancing. Like I want something that I feel like, like I'm getting somewhere, you know, um, freelancing never felt like I was, you do it for three years and, and you're still basically where you are when you started. You might charge more, you might make more money, but still when you stop working, the money stops coming in. And so it's like, what, what am I going to do? And so it was definitely around building a company that could scale or launching something that could scale beyond me. And uh, my wife really encouraged me just to do the thing that I wanted to do, which was podcasting. But I was super nervous to 
get back into it because I felt like I had, I had quit, you know, and that's like the one thing you don't do as an entrepreneur is quit, you know, and in all reality, no one cared, but in my mind, it was a big deal. And so I finally just decided, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the thing that I've been thinking about for four years and not really done. So yeah, earlier this year, 2018 spring, uh, I launched Podcast Royale, which is a podcast production and marketing company. And uh, let's see, we're about five months in or so, and it's uh, it's been going well. We we focus on businesses who want to use podcasting as a as part of their marketing strategy, and we kind of take all the guesswork and legwork and the difficulty of producing a podcast because it is difficult. There are a lot of steps, and uh, we we kind of take all that off their plate, so businesses can just focus on creating great content, and then and, and then we do everything else, literally everything else, and so. Uh, it's been it's been going really well. I started day one with a team and a plan in place, and of course, it's changed drastically since I started because uh, I'm haven't ever built a business that was more than just me. But it's still the the main goal of of building something that could grow beyond me uh, is is still working. Can you give me an example? So, me being a podcaster that just started a podcast with a guy named Micah, you know, what could you do? Like right now for us, I have someone that's transcribing it. We have someone that's editing the audio and stuff like that. Can you walk us through what you could do for us? Yeah, uh, that's all the, the kind of stuff we do. A mini tagline that I've used on the website is, you know, you record, we do everything else. And so, most of our clients tend to have custom needs. So far, we haven't had any clients who, who fall into one particular package, even though we do have like predefined plans with certain services in them. I should mention before, too, that this is a it's a highly productized service. So it, it's driven completely by processes and systems. So even though at its heart, we're still an agency and we're doing client service work, uh, it's very process driven. So it's run like a SaaS or um, any sort of product that would have recurring revenue. So a, a client signs up and then they're automatically, you know, billed through Stripe every month for whatever uh, package of services they signed up for. And and that can really be, uh, you know, at its core, it's it's podcast production. So there's, you know, there's audio editing and uh, show notes writing and social media creation, you know, uh, videos and assets and stuff for for social media publishing and just all, all that kind of stuff and then there are a bunch of extra things that we do too uh, like you mentioned uh, transcriptions YouTube stuff like creating a YouTube version of the show and we even do like you know guest research and recruitment and then we have this whole strategy side which is something I really wanted to focus on like there are there are a lot of podcast production companies out there and there are a lot of audio engineers out there but I also wanted to really focus on strategy because I know that a lot of uh, businesses, it's not just the, how do we do the show? Like, how do we physically, what do we record into and how do we get it into iTunes or whatever? But, you know, bigger than that is how do we grow an audience? How do we actually, how is this podcast going to uh, do what marketing is supposed to do, which is grow our audience, get us more leads, more clients, raise awareness of our business or brand or whatever. So we have some kind of a whole package, if you will, of add-ons to any of our service plans that involve, you know, ongoing strategy, consulting, 
stuff like that. You might call it coaching maybe. I mean, it's not exactly what like a business coach would do, but it, I would just say it's like market, marketing strategy, but specifically focused on podcasting. I mean, it sounds like the whole concept of being product driven for scalability, it has to be treated as a product. So that makes sense. Can I step back real quick about um, Apple? What did you do at Apple? I was on uh, one of their front end teams. So when I was hired, I knew that I was going to be working on Apple.com. I didn't realize that there were hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people that work on Apple.com every day, all day, and that's all they do. Um, It was definitely bigger than I expected. So everything is broken down into, you know, teams, smaller teams. And so a design, everything is very siloed as well. So design is its own thing. Front end is its own thing. Back end is its own thing. They keep everything very separate, or at least they did when I was there. And so you'd have little teams of uh, two to six front end developers. And I led one of those teams and we just worked on Apple.com. I, I don't know exactly how much uh, I signed a whole stack of NDAs, so I have no idea like what I'm allowed to actually say or not. But yeah, it, just Apple.com. It's it's a much bigger site than I ever knew because I only used it to basically look at the new products every year when they came out. But it's such a big site, and uh, and those big product launch pages, you know, that get pushed live every year at WWDC or whatever. Those take a lot of time and a lot of effort. Okay, that that makes sense. I, w- I wasn't sure if you were more of a designer or a developer role there. Yeah, it was definitely development. Um, like I said, they everything is very very siloed and, sep- and separate. So right. designers don't code, developers don't design. And uh, for me, it was it's front end, and and even front end is is very separated from back end. You know, we might touch a little bit of JavaScript, a little bit of things like that, but it was mostly uh, HTML, CSS, and and uh, JavaScript. So within within your business, and Micah, feel free to tell me to shut up because I'm asking lots of questions. <laughs> but um, with with your business, do you miss the dev, dev side a lot? Or is it just something, because I kind of am in the same boat where I'm not doing as much dev as my business has grown. Yeah, well, I, see, the thing is, I haven't really stopped doing it. I mean, I still, you know, my entire life pretty much revolves around the internet. So I'm still building things. I'm still doing WordPress stuff and, and front-end development and, and learning, all that kind of stuff. But I'm just not doing it. It's not my day-to-day, you know, bread and butter that pays the bills anymore. And so I'm still taking on front-end work, but I'm only doing it if it's just something I really want to do or it's a friend or something. It's it's definitely not out of necessity. So I don't miss it at this point because I'm still still doing it. Um, and I think I would always do that, even if I, you know, uh, if even if I was financially set, which is the goal at some point, um, even if I was just completely, you know, financial independence achieved, you know, I would still be doing uh, podcast related stuff, writing related stuff, uh, front end dev and WordPress and design related stuff, because I just enjoy doing that. So you mentioned um, that one of your things you enjoy is is the process and uh, strategy type work. And I've kind of been in the same boat where I've always, um, I had a business before I got into WordPress 
And I didn't particularly like the work, but I loved the the workflow, I guess you could say, the the yeah. processes and that kind of thing. So tell us a little bit about maybe some of the um, things you've learned about processes, uh, maybe some automation tools or things that you found helpful. Yeah. I mean, there are different levels of automation. Obviously, Podcast Royale is highly automated, and the whole thing is, is built on systems and processes. But even if you're just a solo freelancer, there's still... There's still a lot of things that you can automate. And I think that's one of the things I never did as a freelancer, even though I did treat it as a business. You know, I was very hardcore about having contracts and proposals. And, you know, it was uh, it wasn't as I wasn't just like winging it as much as I did when I first started freelancing. There are things that I didn't do that are big parts of running an actual business, like having having processes for things like onboarding and, and how you're going to onboard and, and, and where you're going to, you know, how you're going to generate leads and how you're going to do certain kinds of work and how you're going to deliver that kind of work. And since the podcast Royale started with a team, you know, since I went in day one, knowing I'm not going to do any of the actual production work myself, because if I do that, I'm going to end up creating just another freelance job for myself. And uh, so I, I went, I started with a team, so I had to have all these processes be, or else it just falls apart. And, and it's, I've definitely experienced some of that where my processes weren't that great or, or whatever. And I had to rework them and figure them out. And uh, so that's, I'm, I'm still kind of in the middle of that, but stuff like, uh, stuff like lead gen and onboarding, you know, I never knew where any of my clients came from when I was doing front end development, you know, it was all referral based from day one. And that's great, but the problem is you're just at the complete mercy of the email. You know, if I don't get an email for uh, work, proposal, whatever, I don't make any money. And so I, I didn't have any idea where, um, how that happened. You know, people just uh, over a period of years continued to email me and, and want to work with me. So that's something that's very different here is that I'm having to, you know, like, like I said, my job now is mainly uh, client acquisition, basically sales and team building. So two things that I really didn't do a whole lot of in my entire career are now basically my entire job. And so it's been a struggle for sure. But at the same time, it's like, man, why didn't I, you know, why did I wait so long to do this? Like recurring revenue is amazing. <laughs> you know, it just every month it just shows up, you know, it's, uh, it's crazy. Like being out of that sort of feast or famine, you know, no money one month, 20 grand the next month, you know, just because you're either, either you have more work than you can possibly do, or there's zero work. Like being out of that is really, really great. I don't know if that answered your question or not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was listening to somebody uh, since you brought up onboarding who uh, had an interesting perspective, particularly on the how to onboard a, a new hire. And they were saying that you should always have the junior most person. So your last hire onboard your new hire. I thought that was interesting. And the explanation was because the junior most person had to do the most learning most recently, and they're going to remember all the yeah. things and be able to explain it better to somebody because they remember what it yeah. was like. That's interesting. Yeah. And so you you know you could always have somebody else follow up after that with more details or whatever if something got skipped. But 
uh, I thought that was interesting because, you know, it's definitely more affordable because your newest tire is probably not the highest paid. So, yeah, definitely. It's, it is all these, that's the thing, all these processes, all the, the way the whole business runs. I didn't expect it to change. Well, change isn't the right word. I guess I felt like going into it. Okay. I've got my processes. I'm good. But I just didn't realize this being the first time I've ever done this. I didn't realize how much those things would morph and change once, once I got into it, you know, I had my idea of who my ideal client was and, and that has changed somewhat. And, you know, the first three or four months of this business, it's, it's just been a lot of learning. That's why I still only have a landing page. I don't even have the full site up yet because there's things I'm trying to get really dialed in before doing that, before sort of opening. Well, what I hope is opening the floodgates uh, in terms of, of clients and really putting a lot of effort into our own marketing because uh, I don't want to I don't want it to all fall apart under the weight of, you know, more clients, which if, if the processes aren't really dialed in and your team isn't really dialed in, then, then that's what happens. And you end up just having to do it yourself to make up that difference. And that's a really difficult place to be in. Like I said, I'm, I was trying to start something from day one that could scale beyond me and eventually someday run without me. So it's just a completely different way of working than I ever have before. Somebody was asking me something about scaling the other day, and I, I was trying to explain that they're scaling processes. But then if you don't have processes, right. all you're scaling is chaos. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so sounds like, uh, yeah, it sounds like you're on the right path. You got all the processes and making sure those are in order and that they can support the growth, which I think is where a lot of people mess up, right? Like they try to grow too fast yeah. and then realize they didn't have the infrastructure to handle it. Yeah, totally. And knowing that the processes are going to change and can change uh, is a big deal too, because I mean, that's another reason like it's taken me this long to do something like this is because you know, I've always, I've always wanted to, I, I have a hard time starting without having a clear picture of where it's going to end up, which basically means I just don't ever start anything because you never know. And, and a lot of times you just have to get going and get moving in order to get some sort of momentum. And that momentum is what feeds you figuring out those other pieces. And so, uh, I had my list of processes and things, but you know, they've completely changed obviously since the beginning and actually going through the process with multiple clients and seeing how this works and how that works. And, oh, Hey, we actually need a QA process. Didn't even think of that one, you know, and having to, you know, hire for that and create that. I mean, it's, it's a constantly evolving thing. Yeah. Our processes. So I don't know if you know, but I uh, co-own an agency and yeah, the processes are always morphing. And as our company has grown, it's actually, it's weird. Our processes have changed without me knowing, which is kind of, kind of weird and cool at the same time. It's kind of like they saw, uh, people on my team saw a need to change the way things were working and they, they made that call that I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, we're, we're small, we're just seven people, seven full time, you know, but I mean, the, the growth is something that we're trying to uh, be prepared for in the future. Well, seven full timers, I wouldn't consider that small. That's a decent size team, especially being full time. And your job just completely changes. You, you go from, you know, being an implementer to a manager and, that was one reason why, you know, that was something I was afraid of. Like I didn't want to be a manager and it, it turns out that 
you don't, it's not uh, just one or the other. They're not mutually exclusive. You can still do things you can, you enjoy and management doesn't have to suck either, but it just all depends on those processes you know, keep going back to that. But it, you know, if those, if that whole thing is really solid, then, then, uh, when you're, when something, when you lose clients, when you get new clients, when you have to let people go, when you bring on new people, all these different things that happen, uh, they can either go, like you were saying, Micah smoothly, or it can just be chaos. And those processes really make for me anyway, they've made the difference in whether it's chaos or it actually feels like it's manageable. I guess I should probably ask the the question, the most important one. Uh, if you were to start back at square one, uh, what would you have done differently? Man, well, I always ask that question on the Gently Mad too, and it's a lot harder to answer than it is to ask. <laughs> um, what would I do differently? It's so it's so weird because I think one of my biggest fears is regret. You know, I don't want to wake up one day when I'm 70 and feel like I wasted it. You know, I didn't do what I wanted to do or, or I, I didn't figure it out in time, whatever. I, I don't know. I have this this weird. Yeah. Regret is a big thing that I, I don't I, I want to avoid. And at the same time, though, I don't think any of these experiences are wasted because the biggest question that I think everyone has to answer about themselves is what is it that you really want? What is it that you really, truly want? And you can't answer that question, I think, when you're 21. You know, you can't answer that question in a day. Like it takes it takes just a certain amount of time and a certain amount of experiences before uh, you can start to figure that out because uh, you have to try things and figure out, well, I don't want that in order to figure out what it is that you do want. So starting over, if I was starting over and how would I do things differently? Part of me would say, well, I do things exactly the way I did them because I needed to go through those experiences. But also like just logically, there are things I would do differently. Like I would start sooner. I wouldn't be so afraid of failure that it kept me from launching things and doing things. I've spent a lot of my life just thinking like coming up with ideas and and I have ideas all the time for new things and I and I I never do anything about them because I guess maybe uh, being like I said a fear of failure or it just it feels it feels too big like I I can't possibly know all the variables and I have to know all the variables before I can start anything so I would change that for sure that I would just try more things and be willing to just try things without you know, having to have all the answers and see what happens and, and not it not having to be this this perfect thing, because um, I feel like that's kept me from launching stuff, which has kept me from learning stuff. So that's a big one. And, you know, I, I feel like I might have started the podcasting business earlier, but at the same time, one of the reasons I started it this year was because I feel like we're finally at a point where I'm not having to sell businesses so much anymore on the idea that they should be podcasting. It kind of, or at least a lot of the people that I, the circles that I'm in, like they understand that. They understand that podcasting is a, is a great form of marketing and they should be doing it. But now the question is how, and that, that's where I come in. Whereas three years ago, I was having to spend as much time talking to people about 
why they should be podcasting in the first place. And then once they were sold on that, then sell them on why they should use me to do that. So at the same time as, you know, maybe I could have started this earlier. I don't know. It, it feels like it's, it's the right time, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a complicated question for me, but I think the change of things I would do differently aren't so much in the practical day in, day out things. It's more, uh, mental stuff, more stuff around getting over my fears and shipping stuff and, and starting things and, you know, sticking with things and, and stuff like that, that I feel like might have, I, I could have arrived here maybe sooner if I had done some of those things differently. I get it though. When you're talking about trying to convince people that you should be podcasting, it reminds me of 15 years ago, a one man shop. Why would I need a website? You know, no one's going to find us through the web, you know, um, it's right. that yeah. type of, uh, transition websites are, are a given now, you know, and so podcasting is kind of moving into that type of, uh, it, I mean, it's a good marketing uh, tool. Um, that's probably why I'm here doing a podcast right now. So, but I, I feel, well, it's fun too. It's fun. Yeah, it is. Once I figure out what I'm doing, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, once we're using your services, then it's just going to be so much better, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, um, thank you for uh, spending the time with us. And let, I'm dead serious. I'm going to reach out to you afterwards because uh, I think we probably could use, use your, your services for this podcast itself. Yeah, anytime, man. Thanks for thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. We uh, we need to make sure people know how to get a hold of them. On Twitter, you can go to avclark, also avclark.com website. For the podcast stuff, you can go to podcastroyal.net. And if you want to actually listen to podcasts, you can go to thegentlymad.com. Yeah, I have websites and social handles all over the place. So uh, probably avclark is the best one. Um, because uh, you can pretty much get to everything from there, but those are the main ones. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you.